Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies and huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot Z on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. I guess maybe we needed to, I don't know. What's going on here? Who knows? Hey, where are you? I'll have to text him to see where he is. You can text us at any time at 780-496-0063. Bob Stoffer and Brendan Escott with you. Uh, Jack Michaels at some point will join us. I'm sure as soon as we can find a way to get a hold of him. <laughs> I mean, he does do the show every Friday at one thirty-five, and he's a huge. I've already had a communication with him this morning on the passing of Paul Horning. We are trying to get hold of you. <laughs> oh, that is funny. Welcome back. We got him now. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stopper and Brennan Escott with you. Uh, just joking around. It's that time. It's the weekly appearance with Jack Michaels. But, Jack, we're going to go down a different path to open today's show. How are you doing, my man? Good. What are you all chuckles about? You sound well, very jolly. I'm in a good mood. It, it occasionally happens. Uh, you like? Are you always in your car driving around Edmonton? Because or do you always have a lunch date Friday between noon and one thirty? Because it seems like we get you in the car an awful lot. Well, I like to be in the car. That way, uh, you know, it, it keeps my energy up. Because I find I talk louder and have a little bit more juice. When I'm on speakerphone as opposed to, like, if you called me last night and said, why didn't you start Naheem Hines? Yeah. Uh, hey, I started Derek Henry. I want to know why they didn't use him. In the... Okay, let me ask you a question. You're down a couple touchdowns. Who's the, who's the best offensive player on the Tennessee <laughs> on the Tennessee Titans? we got to keep it on the rails, part. No, no, no. When I lapse into fantasy football talk, no. lose everybody. Derek Henry, I agree. They underutilized him. Like, what are you doing? Like, why would you take your best best player 
off the ice or off the field in that situation. You're trying to get back in the game. Put them back in there. Maybe give them a, a series or, or a, a a set of downs off. But come on, man. All right, Jack. Just before we get to some of the hockey stuff and uh, what's potentially going on here, and what's the difference if we start up January first versus February first, or uh, you know, forbid that we end up uh, not playing at all. Uh, Paul Horning passed away today, and for two years in a row, basically in November, the Oilers were in Philadelphia and practiced back-to-back years at the University of Penn Hockey Arena, which is known as the Class of 1923 Arena. And speaking of Paul Horning, what is right next to that antiquated hockey arena in the city of brotherly love that you do not love in Philadelphia? Well, interestingly enough, an equally antiquated facility that's been moderately updated over the years, but it's called Franklin Field, and it's got a a bit of a book but depository feel to it, uh, you know, in the background as it kind of surrounds the field, and and it's where the Eagles played uh, in the 50s and 60s, and actually, you know, into the early 70s, and uh, it's the, you know, birthplace of a lot of things, including NFL films, but it's also the site of the only playoff game that legendary coach Vince Lombardi ever lost. And that is, now, was Paul Horning, maybe explain the connection. You mentioned that the Green Bay Packers, how close was that game and was Horning involved in a significant play? Well, Horning, uh, Horning was, uh, as you know, a stellar player for the Green Bay Packers throughout the 1960s, and he did it all. He, as you may or may not remember, he was a quarterback at Notre Dame, right. remains the only player for a losing team ever to win the Heisman Trophy. Which Two and eight. Award- which is awarded to the best player yeah. in, in college football uh, on an annual basis for, for those listeners who may not know what it is. but uh, and, and Paul Horning, you know, was an absolute legend. Uh, in that particular game, he, he handled the kicking duties uh, and scored a touchdown. And on the final play of the game, uh, a guy by the name of Chuck Bednarik, who played all but two minutes that day as both an offensive center and the Eagles' starting middle linebacker, he was, it was really the last two-way performance uh, you know, by a big-time NFL player in the history of the game, and he tackled a, a Horning's backfield mate, guy by the name of Jim Taylor on the 10-yard line. Clock ran out. Final score, Eagles 17, Packers 13. And that was the only playoff game that uh, Vince Lombardi ever lost, eh? Correct, 1960. Because they ended up winning, what, how many championships before the Super Bowl? They won in 61, 62, and 65, uh, beating the Browns in 65. And then in 66 and 67, uh, they won the first two Super Bowls. And did the Bears win in 63 and the Giants in 64? I'm trying to remember. The Bears the Bears won in 63 and the Browns won oh, in 64. It's how could I Cleveland's forget that? Cleveland's last professional sports championship until uh, LeBron and the Cavs won uh, in 2016, who I'm trying to. Th- why was I thinking the was I was that 58 with the Giants? Well, the Giants, the Giants went to the championship game in 58, 59, 61, 62, and 63. Lost them all, and the last one in 63 uh, was to the Bears. 
So they were the Buffalo Bills. Maybe it's something about New York State, eh? They were the Buffalo Bills before the Bills lost those four straight? Correct. They did win in 56, in fairness to the Giants, but then they lost the next five. And in terms of, for our listeners, and the old schoolers would remember this, that sort of run from 58 on sort of modernized the NFL because of television, right? Correct. The 1958 game between the Colts and Giants went into overtime and is basically considered to be the game that put the NFL over the top in terms of that was the defining moment where NFL started to gain ground and subsequently pass Major League Baseball as America's national pastime. All right, Jack, so I'm going to switch a little bit of focus. So we're in Philadelphia in back-to-back years in 2013 and in 2014. And Dallas Akins was coaching uh, the team those two years. Craig Mentavish was the general manager. Schmid got traded in 2013. Do you recall the uh, the scuttlebutt that was going on? People will just say, what, in 2014 when we were in Philadelphia watching the Oilers practice that day? Well, you reminded me, and I remember the conversation. You know, at the time, there were some rumors swirling that uh, the Oilers were contemplating a trade involving Neil Yakupov and J.T. Miller, who at that time, of course, was with the New York Rangers. And I think in fairness, you could say at that particular point in time, J.T. Miller hadn't really, to use one of your words, popped yet. You know, he was he was kind of scuffling along a little bit. Uh, but, you know, still there was there was a tremendous amount of potential there as there was thought to be with Nail Yakupov. So those were those were two names that I remember you asking me about it and and uh, and talking about it that 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 was at least uh you know potentially out there. I don't know, you know, how far down the road the Rangers ever went with it, but that was certainly uh something that I remember you telling me about. Yeah, well at that stage Mark Messier was sort of I think he was a consultant for the organization or doing a little bit of work and he was of the belief that the Oilers should should, should take the plunge and I, I I could tell you I I certainly didn't think JT Miller and we're going to tie this into 2014 with Leon Dreisaitl but I didn't think JT Miller would become as good a player as he turned out to be and if you'd seen him in the first couple of years in the NHL no chance I mean for the Canucks this year he was he was a significant that was an impact acquisition for Jim Benning. That changed the complexion of what their top six. I mean, he had a tremendous season. And I guess it just shows you you never know, Jack, because think back to Leon Dreisettle. I mean, Leon, he scored his first NHL goal against Carolina. Oh, now i got to remember who he... Uh, he got one against Ottawa in his rookie year as well. That was a game the Oilers came back. They're down 3 nothing at home. And I, I don't think... I mean, realistically, did you think for a second... In the 14-15 season when Leon got sent to Kelowna uh, back to junior, did you think we'd be talking about a future 50-goal score at that time? Well, no, because the the thought process on him and and what's really surprised me about Leon's development is not that he's turned into a good player. I I certainly wasn't going to – I think he had, what, two goals in 37 games, but I – I wasn't really judging him on that. I wasn't thinking he was a bust or anything like that. But what was obvious to me was his playmaking ability. And I really, yeah, I had seen him in Kelowna, but, you know, you don't know about the goaltending sometimes. And I I guess what I I underestimated was Drysaddle's shot and, and the fact that, 
you know, I mean, the thing about the Oilers is they've got three guys who I think uh, still could shoot the puck more in, in Drysaddle, McDavid, and Nugent Hopkins. I think their, I think their shots are somewhat still to this day underrated. And it's funny we're talking about Philadelphia because the only time I've really ever seen you upset, like upset in front of people that necessarily you'd like to keep your composure, but I remember you being legitimately upset, and this relates to J.T. Miller, that Miller got the nod first over Nugent Hopkins. Uh, for Team North America, and that also happened to be in Philadelphia. And I yeah. remember you were really steamed. Well, I was steamed because Peter Shirelli was the general manager of the team, and Todd McClellan was the coach of the team. JT Miller at that point in 15, 16, I'm going to have to look up his numbers. He'd had he about was having a good. He was having a good year, but the that, body of work was still well, very much in favor of Nugent Hopkins. Not even close, and that was the Oilers' right. own. That was, and it was obviously it was a given. McDavid was going to be on the team, right. and even even then, I mean, Peter told me. I remember Peter telling me after I had that animated conversation with him, like that's our guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I remember him saying. Well, am, I, am I right? That's probably as upset as I've seen you in. Well, of people that matter. I, I obviously don't matter, but I, you were mad. <laughs> well, and, and my rationale in this, Jack, is that guys like Nugent Hopkins went through, they, they logged some tough miles, and they had already built up a pretty good level of play. And as it turned out, if you'd recall during the World Cup, JT Miller was a healthy scratch. And Ryan, Nugent, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins for Team North America played a pretty critical uh, role. Right. And my, J.T. Miller was part of the original selection list, and, and Nugent was. Hopkins had to wait. There is another guy in Philadelphia that now works for TSN. Frank Cervelli was like, what? Like, how does that happen? How does your own guy not get selected? And I get it. Sometimes you don't want to come across as favoring your player. And I, I looked at it. They announced 16 players select preliminary team. Jack, that was right after the Oilers got Pat Maroon in the trade from Anaheim as well. That was the trade deadline happened because Peter wasn't with the team. And then he flew to Toronto to announce the team. And they named eight Americans and eight Canadians on that team. Right. And I'm like, right, for Team North America. And I was like, I'm sorry, Nugent Hopkins should have been on the team. So, anyhow, I was pretty frustrated about that because I felt empathy for Ryan because Ryan had a lot of pressure on him, just like Taylor Hall did. And the teams, as you know, weren't always great and were lacking a little bit of depth. And we're at a different place now. I want to circle back to, uh, I don't know if you've ever read, uh, read the Game of Our Lives written by Peter Zosky about the Oilers. I have, and, about yeah, about the Oilers' uh, yeah. 80, 81 season. Sure. Correct? And he uses a term, osmosis. And he talked, and this is before we knew how good Mark Messier was going to turn out to be. And, you know, Glenn Anderson and Yari Curry, he talked about all the players benefiting from practicing on a daily basis with uh, Wayne Gretzky and the osmosis effect taking place. And I want to extrapolate on that. Do you think that Leon Dreisaitl, Jack, has become a better player because he's played with, practiced with, and practiced against Connor McDavid on a, you, like, a lot of this is on Leon, but is some of it just because he's elevated in part because his desire to be as good as his, you know, as his teammate? Well, what, what was the criticism of Leon early in his career? When he struggled, he was what? Playing with a lack of pace. 
And that's yeah. where when you're practicing and, and playing with McDavid on a regular basis, you learn to adjust to that pace. You And you can't help but pick it up because otherwise you get embarrassed. I mean, I've seen it. To be honest with you, I've seen it sometimes in my own son's game. You know, depending on his line mates, he'll either get himself disengaged or he'll elevate because he doesn't want to get embarrassed. And I'm not saying Leon was ever in a position where he would have been embarrassed by his play. But I think Connor McDavid does that for a lot of players on the Oilers. And not just the ability to play with pace, but the intensity level at which he practices with. We've seen some of it. I mean, the one thing about that documentary was quite revealing in terms of the passion and intensity that Connor McDavid approaches every workout with. And it's the old adage, and and there's a a number of athletes that fit in this group. I'm not going to say Connor McDavid is unique in this regard, but when you see the best player on your team and very well the best player in the league attack a basic... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Workout with a kind of ferocity that 97 does. It can't help but rub off on you in a positive way. All right. Uh, you've had some time to think about it. I know I had your rank one through seven for the uh, Canadian uh, division. It looks like if we are fortunate enough to play, and I think we're, we're going to end up playing, uh, it looks like it's fait accompli that it will be a Canadian division at least to start. How jacked up are you going to be for that? I mean, I know you you love going to West, you know, you love going into Pittsburgh. and you, you no, we all. Lo- I like it. I, I, Bob, honestly, I, I do like it. I I, uh, you're right. I mean, there's some American cities I Chicago, really enjoy. Chicago, Chicago. But, you know? but I, I like the buzz going into Toronto and Montreal. I, you know, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of the leaves or the or the city, but I, I like the buzz that's generated by so many players getting geeked up for that matchup. And and look, uh, you know, I, I mean, we've we've had our moments in all these cities. The only one I'm not too fond of really is is Ottawa because we don't get to experience Ottawa. We're stuck out in Canada. I, I'm I'm really excited for the country. I'm excited uh, for personal reasons. I, I do think an all-Canadian division has a tremendous amount of, of appeal on a, on a short-term basis. Uh, and the only reason I say that is because I, I think the Oilers have developed some, some good rivalries with some of the some of the Pacific Division teams they play. I, I was, to be honest with you, Bob, I was I was really looking forward to Edmonton and Vegas taking it to the next level, and the, and the Oilers trying to pull themselves even with the standard bearer of the Pacific Division the last couple of years. But having said all that, I'm thrilled that 
if there is the prospect of a season that an all-Canadian division is going to be part of it because one of those rivalries that have picked up uh, significantly in the last year is the Calgary Flames, and they, you know, they have reason to feel confident. I quite frankly think they've gotten worse rather than better, but we shall see. And the other thing that might come into play is you might see, you know, Edmonton renew hostilities with Vancouver because both teams are expected to take a dramatic next step. A lot of people tell you Vancouver might be one of the Western Conference favorites. I've heard Vancouver mentioned more often than I have with Edmonton. I quite frankly feel the opposite. I think the Oilers might have gotten a leg up with their moves in the offseason. But either way, I'm excited about it, and I, I really hope it comes to fruition. And you know what? If it's a two- or three-game series, Bob, I think that's great for you and I because it's a chance for a little hostility to build up over a two- or a three-game series. How excited are baseball fans when Tampa and the Yankees are screaming at each other and they face one another 24 hours later? Well, the same could hold true this year in an all-Canadian division. Final question. We only got about 45 seconds, Jack. It is a matchup between your team and Brendan Escott's team. Brendan Escott is the only Houston, Texas fan in the city of Edmonton. You might be the only Browns fan. Who's taking the game on Sunday? I like Cleveland all the way. Houston has nothing but bad mojo. I'm not sure whether you're aware, but they fired uh, the only PR lead that happens to be a woman who was universally respected with the Texans. Their organization is is completely flame on right now. J.J. Watt wants out, wants out of there, and that once-proud defense is a shell of what it once was. I like Cleveland to win and win big. All right, Jack, uh, we'll hook up next Friday. Thank you for joining us on Oilers Now. Always a pleasure, pal. Have a great weekend. There we go. That is Jack Michaels. I'm going to bring Brendan Escott in at this time. He's he's kind of calling out your team a bit. I know it's been a frustrating year. Is it been a different team under Romeo Cornell? What do you think? Yeah, and and that was sort of expected, but it's still the honeymoon phase, right? You got to play well for for 80 year old Romeo Cornell. The fact is that Bill O'Brien traded away his his best offensive asset, and then wondered why there was no offense flowing. Uh, so yeah, I, I, as much as it pains me to have to take that from Jack, he's not necessarily wrong. I, I have a worse situation than that to discuss. I had a decision two years ago at the start of the year in the sports scene fantasy football pool, which has been around since the early 90s, I to uh, trade Russell Wilson or trade Deshaun Watson because I was only going to – and I actually had Carson Wentz, so I guess I could have traded Wentz. And I thought, well, Eagles, you know, we're a Super Bowl caliber team. Uh, this was – this might have been three years ago. Anyways, long story short, I kept Deshaun. I've always liked Deshaun Watson dating back to when he pulled off the upset with Clemson. And uh, there there we go. Uh, you have it for what it's worth. So sometimes things don't work out, best laid plans and all that. Where are we at right now here, uh, Brendan? Uh, let's get to this day in Oilers history. And back in the 630 Chad Studios, you're going to tell me about a game between the Oilers and the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, back in 1996, and uh, the Oilers happened to dump the Sens 4 nothing to improve to 9-10 and on the young season. Curtis Joseph made 28 saves for the shutout. Marius Tchaikovsky, uh, Todd Marchant, Miro Satan, and uh, Ryan Smith all factoring in in the goal column for Edmonton. The Oilers made the playoffs that year in 96-97. A couple years ago, Edmonton bombed the Montreal. Canadian 6-2 on this date as well. Royal Pizza, Pizza Past, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated 
for over 50 years. Royal Pizza offers curbside pickup and takeout options for a menu and a list of uh, their 13 Edmonton and area locations. Go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. Brendan is a Houston, Texas fan, so his uh, pizza of choice at Royal Pizza is the Texan. Mine is the Mediterranean chicken. Uh, Reed Wilkins has inside sports tonight. What's he got shaking? Well, you're going to hear from me with a little bit of an AJHL preview. Outside of that, sounds like a fluid show. All right, and uh, John Shannon and Reed will join us on Monday's show. We're working on a couple other guests for Monday as well. Uh, of course, 6.30, Chad, uh, news and information uh, superstation here in the uh, province of Alberta. I do want to mention that uh, coming up uh, today after 2 o'clock, University of Alberta sociologist is seeing the province's past peak personal responsibility when it comes to fighting COVID-19. Dr. Amy Kaler will join Jayla and I after two o'clock today to share why she feels action short of introducing new more restrictive COVID-19 measures will be futile in preventing the virus's spread. So that's coming up after a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell, followed by the 630 Jet Afternoons with Jayla and I. Have a terrific weekend, everybody. Back at you on Monday. Stay safe. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.